This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Real Blend, a podcast that spent far too much time this week discussing Jeff Daniels' toilet scene in Dumb and Dumber. Ah. It's a masterpiece. (laughs) Some of you. It is a masterpiece. Some of you might have even voted in our bathroom blend poll on Twitter. And for that, honestly, we sincerely, sincerely thank you for voting in that poll. Do we though? We have to give some context there. Well, later. Later. In the biz, we call that a tease, Kevin. (laughs) My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend. This is episode number 34 of our weekly movie podcast, which means that by now you know that I'm joined every single week by the incomparable Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, hello, sir. Hello, Kevin. If you don't get incomparable, how many syllables is that? Incomparable. If you don't get more than five syllables, that means he likes me more than you. Let's see. And in the the third chair, the king king of the friendly skies, (laughs) the king of the friendly skies, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 no, in Washington, D.C. six syllables, man. Well, I say that's that. A, like, that's a multiple words. I say that's that because six syllables. Kevin's not home. He's in He's in another city. And Kevin faced a 17-hour uh, delay, <laughs> delay at an airport. That's why Kevin's dressed the way he is. He was actually the – he just gave up and became a flight attendant. Yeah. <laughs> he figured it would be easier to get home to just start working for the airline. That's why he, he's dressed that way. Yes. I've never heard of an 18-hour delay before. I was blown no. away by that. I, That's actually, insane. at one point, at that Dude, point, I had that I was, with uh, Paris. I think I was just impressed by it. Like it was, I wasn't even mad anymore. You ate the whole like, reel of cheese. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> what movie is that from again? Anchorman. Anchorman. Anchorman's right. Because I'm not even mad. Uh, that's about the dog, right? When he gets yeah, home yeah. from yeah, work, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I was in, I was in Seattle uh, with my wife and we visited a bunch of like movie locations and then on the way back, the flight was massively delayed. So I <laughs> literally landed yesterday in DC at 7am and then I went to work this morning and now I'm in New York and then I go back to New York Saturday. <laughs> I don't know what, what I'm doing. Well, yeah. definitely part of the reason why we are, uh, not on the Facebook live. We just decided to grab an hour and really fast record a podcast for you guys. So just a recording this week, which you guys have downloaded on your iTunes or your Spotify, Google Play, and the like. On those portals, uh, people tend to leave us reviews. We have no new reviews this week, but this is a reminder that we welcome you guys and appreciate reviews on iTunes. It's a great way to help promote and grow the show. So uh, follow us on Twitter at at RealBlend. Leave a review, leave a rating, and uh, if you want to head over there now, drop a review. We will read it live on the show next week. So no review means that it gives me time to slip in a very quick Hashtag blend game that we won't normally get to on a regular show, but Jake suggested it earlier. I want to do um, hashtag back to school blend. Uh, hey, I have kids who are going back to school. Wait a second. Wait. What? What? Yes. And oh, so, wait. just real quick, off the top of your head, give me a, a movie. We're gonna play later. We're playing opening blend later. Oh, but I want to just. I didn't quick, know we were gonna do this. You didn't. I didn't be, actually like. Think about what I was going to choose. That's what I'm saying. Off the top of your head, tell me the movie that that speaks to school, going back to school, being at school. I'll go first if you want to give you guys a chance to think about it. Yeah. The Wait a greatest, second here. 
There's Wait a I'm second. Gonna, there's two. Well, I, I no, you can only pick entire, one. That's the game. You can only pick one. I spent an entire day yeah. trying to convince you guys I want to do bathroom blend. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then Jake literally said, let's do back to school blend jokingly. Yeah. And then now we're doing that. And well, we can't do it bathroom is, blend? There, there is. It's back to school. It's back to school time. It's seasonal. I'm incomparable for God's sake. This is seasonal. Uh, I'm going to pick Rodney Dangerfield's back to school. Which to yeah. me not oh, only I love ranks that, I love as that dive, that dive. It's one of the funniest movies of all time. It has one of the it has the greatest one liners of any film I've ever seen. It's like Rodney took the best of his act and poured it into uh, this film, where he actually I think the greatest line in that movie, which might be one of my favorite one liners, my favorite one liners in any comedy ever, is when he asks Sally Kellerman, his English teacher, to be his tutor, and he says, "You can help me straighten out my Longfellow." <laughs> <laughs> tremendous <laughs> tremendous but i love back to school so See, that's Kevin, my choice what that joke means is what he asks yes. yeah. he doesn't understand poetry yeah i don't get he, that joke he needs help with poetry so jake do you um, have one does it have to be about going back to school or just school in general it's school in general uh the first one that comes up to my like in, in, in my mind just because i i honestly think it's just genuinely timeless about the, the politics of high school is breakfast club Ah, oh, good one very good. I thought you were going to say, uh, what's the Robin Williams one that I was thinking? Oh, Dead Poets Society? I was going to say Dead Poets Society, but that's fine. Yeah. No? yeah. Breakfast Club rules. Kevin got one? I mean, again, not no preparation. The first one that came to my mind was Mean Girls, because I like that movie a lot. Mean Girls is great. Mean, mean Girls is great. Um, I mean, uh, Billy admittedly. Madison? Billy Madison's admitted, a really good one. I did, uh, I just now I Google searched school movies. And I'm like looking through the list here. Um, cause the that's first not that fair. My, well, the first one that hit my mind before I looked it up was Mean Girls. That's why I said that. But, uh, because Sean kind of sprung this on us, I do want to at least mention a couple of the ones that are on this list. Like Easy A is great. That's um, good. Breakfast Club, as you mentioned, Clueless, uh, Heather's Bring It On, 10 Things I Hate About You is great. Um, yeah, there's so oh, many, there's, there's so many. I mean, I, I, I honestly would need more time to think about this, but. First one that came to my mind was definitely Mean Girls. I mean, really? American Pie is definitely great too. Now, American Pie, I don't that's think a good those transi- movies I, have aged well. I tried watching one of those. I think the first one, like two or three years ago, and it was not nearly as funny as I remembered it being in high school. Right. American yeah. Pie has a great bathroom scene, though. If we Dude, can transition. we've got. Uh, um, but it is. It's a really great. I mean, it's a I, really. I understand what Gabe artfully feels done. like when when we do these shows. Yeah. Hey, first of all, first of all, you guys threw a blend in that had no, uh, there was no uh, preparation for it. Uh, you guys. We have, we have to <clears> give <throat> our audience some context about the bathroom blend. There has to be context. Well, go ahead. Give the, explain, give the background. Explain it, right. and then we'll do news. I, I genuinely do think that there is an art form to a great bathroom scene in a movie. And I think that there has been many of them throughout the years. Uh, Dumb and Dumber is probably the most famous one, in my opinion, when when Jeff Daniels has to go to the restroom and after uh, Jim Carrey puts something in his drink. And it's classic. And I, I here's the thing. And the, the reason I brought this up, half joking, half serious, was that I do think comedies are not ever taken seriously enough. Like Dumb and Dumber, I think, is a brilliant film. I think it's a brilliant script, brilliant performances, brilliant directed. But it will always be that, just that funny movie to all of us, right? And we've never given comedy, in my opinion... The, the respect that dramas... This kind of goes back to our Oscar conversation from last week. So I jokingly said to the guys, why don't we do bathroom blend one day? Like, like talk about the best 
bathroom scenes. If you actually break down Jeff Daniels' scene in that movie, his performance is actually just, genius. Just to be clear, have you broken it down? <laughs> yes! No, but you what actually... I do love is that what Kevin said that I agree with is he does a scene in the newsroom and everyone's like, oh, genius. Right. And then he does a scene in Dumb and Dumber and everyone's like, oh, that's stupid. But right. I, I do agree with him they are, they exist on a certain level of similarity. I, I will agree with Kevin in that in that sense. But be honest for a second. What too. level like, is that? Me, see, it's see, acting. See, it's Jake's, acting. Jake's mindset right now, in my in my mind in my mind, the way I'm perceiving Jake's perception of this talk, this conversation, is that he thinks that it's too immature to be considered. No, it's to not be that like I think that it's too immature. I just I just think that the performance I just think it takes more <laughs> to do other things than it does right. to to show what it's like to poop. <laughs> All right, I, so. I disagree with you. I disagree. If you actually watch Jeff Daniels' face, in I that promise Dumb you, and I've seen scene, Dumb and Dumber more than I've seen the newsroom. If that makes you feel any I, better, since we're never going to be able to do I love this the blend, at this some is the point, closest that we that we will get. I just want to highlight a couple of them: Jeff okay. Daniels and Dumb and Dumber. Uh, Van Wilder, when Tara Reid uh, gives her boyfriend that uh, that shake. Um, there's a great one in Harold and Kumar. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually a battle scene in Harold and Kumar, two girls. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm being serious. It's very, it's very funny. If you haven't seen it, Harold and Kumar. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen Harold and Kumar, I think it's, it's called Battle S. They, he can't do school blend off the top of his head, but yeah. he's got this short list memorized. You I want to point that out. Forget, you can't forget Finch in American Pie. What a moment. What a moment in cinema. Right, I mean, I'm telling you, great moments in cinema. <laughs> well, so later on, we're going to do opening blend, which was a build. I don't, even, I don't even want to anymore. Last week's. <laughs> you guys, listen, I know you guys think I'm joking. Wait, I'm I'm listen, I promise you, I do not think you're joking. Listen, I'm not saying Jeff Daniels deserves an Oscar for his scene in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I'm just trying to expand the horizon of what we right. consider to be quality. And yes. comedy is quality. That's all I'm trying to say. Yes. Oh, we're, okay, that I agree with you. I just don't think that, like, I don't know. I don't get up in arms over a great bathroom scene. Like, I don't walk out of, uh, you know, like, I love Dumb and Dumber. Okay. I just I just don't, I don't, like, understand the necessity to, like, champion a great bathroom scene. I Honestly, Last I would I'll... rather have, like, sex scene blend. To me, <laughs> it's much That's more great... impressive to overcome the awkwardness of, of sex in front of 50 people. Then, then do the bathroom scene. We're getting them. We're getting right, to move last, on from Gabe. Last thing I'll say, uh, not necessarily a bathroom scene, but also, uh, but a great scene that deals with that type of humor is the scene in Nutty Professor when Eddie Murphy's playing all the characters except for the kid around that table as they have, as they all like kind of pass gas or whatever. Again, a scene that would be shoved aside as immature, but if you think about it, Eddie Murphy playing all those characters and making it seem like it works, and then also adding that humor. That scene will never be recognized as the genius as what it as the what it is, really, in my opinion. I think it's always gonna be pushed aside as a fart scene. But a, I'm telling you, one day those scenes will get the recognition they deserve. A filmmaker who will never have a brilliant fart scene in his films <laughs> is Christopher Nolan. Uh, and in our first news segment, we learned that uh Michael Caine has the ending of Inception explained. Have you guys seen this story? I didn't click on it because I thought that uh, we would talk about it today. So this We is are going to talk about it today. Michael Caine uh, introduced a screening of Inception and was asked about the final shot, obviously, of the top spinning. 
and he gives a definitive answer of uh, whether or not it's a dream state or the reality that Leo's character is in. So I want to read his quote. He says, um, when I got the script of Inception, I was a bit puzzled by it. So I said to him, meaning Nolan, I don't understand where the dream is. And I said, when is it the dream and when is it reality? And Nolan said, well, when you're in the scene, meaning when Michael Caine's in the scene, it's reality. So Michael Caine says, so get that. If I'm in it, it's reality. If I'm not in it, it's a dream. And if you remember the end of Inception, it's Leo going home to see his kids and Michael Caine. Michael Caine's there. Which means it's reality. Yeah. Well, to me, it was always reality because whenever the top was spinning in a dream, it was always spinning perfectly. It was always Mm -hmm. like perfectly symmetrical on its tip, twirling. It wobbles a little bit before it cuts to black. Like it's imperfect in the way that it spins, which to me always said, I know Kevin's got a much longer thought process behind it, but to me it was simply that it's reality because it's, it's imperfect in the way that it wobbles. But this is definitive. I yeah. mean, if this is if this is what he told Kane in the filming of this movie, right. that when you're in the scene, it's reality. That's it, Kevin. How but, can you? But Nolan, with that? Nolan also saying. seems like the type of director to sell, to tell ten different actors yep. ten different things. Exactly. It's the same thing as when they were shooting Avengers: Infinity War or whatever, and they're giving the actors half the scripts. There's been famous stories of Nolan uh, delivering his scripts. I don't know if they're true or not. With like a security person, person reads it and then they give it back to him right away, and then bring it. They, they can't even keep the scripts at home. Um, I think that no one knows the truth to it except for Nolan. I think that Nolan has a definitive mindset, and I think he told people what they needed to hear in order to perform the scenes. And I, I don't. I don't think any actor in Pulp Fiction knows what really is in that briefcase. I think it's just an idea. I don't think Tarantino knows what's in that briefcase. I don't think. Yeah, Probably I mean, not. here's the thing with Inception, which is one of the greatest endings ever. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. If it keeps spinning, it's a dream. If it falls, it's reality, right, Jake? Yeah, that's correct. Right. So it starts to wobble. I mean, that shot is genius. I remember. Oh, you know what? I did. If I can find the audio, I asked Wally Fister. What happened the moment it went to black? Like, did it fall immediately? Did it keep spinning for another, you know, a minute or two? I can't remember what he said, but I actually questioned him about that because I wanted to know, like, you know, when you got that shot, what happened after we went to black? How much longer did it actually spin? Um, So I don't fully believe that Michael Caine, I'm not saying Michael Caine's lying. I'm sure Michael Caine actually did get that response from Nolan. I just don't believe that it's, it's that cut and dry. Um, because, and I've, and I've told you guys a million times, my theory, I think the whole thing's a dream from, from the middle of the film on the moment when DiCaprio gets up and goes to the bathroom, uh, and Ken Watanabe walks in and the totem falls off the sink. Why else would you have that scene and not have him respin it? If that's not the case, that's just my opinion, but hmm. I still, yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. What, so you just what, think you guys... something, I believe Michael Caine. I mean, I believe that what Michael Caine is saying is that what, that's what he believes. And I believe Nolan would have told him back in the day. Because I don't even know with Inception if Nolan was fully into his uh, I'm Christopher Nolan and everything has to be twisty turny. I think he was still just making movies at that point. No, Memento was already down that path. Have you ever seen him like break down the Memento? I, I posted this on Twitter the other day. I saw the, the chalkboard. Unbelievable. He's like explaining Memento. Yeah. And I got lost in the first 10 seconds. Like, it's un- <laughs> it, it, like the way he was dividing it up. So, I don't know, Jake, what are your thoughts? Like, do you think Michael Caine is definitively saying that it is a dream? 
I mean, honestly, it goes along with it goes along with what I already thought. So I'll take any evidence to prove that I'm right. So I'm gonna go along with it just because I agreed with it before I even heard that. So you think the ending is reality? Yes, and I like the I honestly it helps me sleep. It doesn't help me sleep at night, but it helps me sleep at night, (laughs) metaphorically speaking. Thinking about the fact that DiCaprio got home to his kids. Yeah, like, that's the ending I, that I want. Yeah, that's that's what I, I want, want it ending. to be. In reality, these are fictional characters, and nothing happens after it goes to black because it's a fictional but it's a story. Great, so yeah, so it's, it's a great a, top wobble. Yeah, the fact the that we're still talking great. about it almost a decade later is fantastic. But in my head, I tell myself that that dude is at home with his kids right now. And yeah. the beauty of the beauty of it is like, and now I want to watch it. You can you can sit <laughs> there and, and think that I think we all wish that wish that it's almost like the perfect ending because. Had we actually figured out what was going on, says yeah, three I people who did not pick it for who ending. Didn't blame. pick it. No, nah, didn't even pick well, it. But it's 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 well, it's nowhere near the endings that I think we chose. But um, mm. it's very good. But I I do think that the ending to me had it been cookie cutter and we found out exactly what was going on, dream or reality, um, we'd be satisfied, but we would we wouldn't be chewing on it like we are. Um, I think we've all come to a realization that we want it to be reality. And we just kind of like accept that it is because I actually agree. I think it's reality as well, but I don't. Um, but I'm not saying I agree with Michael Caine and every scene he's in is being real. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I want to jump to Star Trek Four uh, and the fact that Chris Pine might not come back for this. Uh, are you guys interested in another Star Trek? First, are you interested in another one of these Star Trek movies? And are you interested if they do one without Chris Pine as Captain Kirk? Honestly, I wasn't even that jazzed whenever Star Trek Beyond came out. It's right. one of those, I love the idea of them bringing in Hemsworth because I think, honestly, probably the opening scene of the first Star Trek is maybe the best scene in the entire series um, where, where Kirk's father dies. I love this whole, like, that got my interest back in the series, this idea of time travel and him going to meet his dad and, and his yeah. dad being Hemsworth. That was fantastic. I like that premise. Once they lost Hemsworth, then I was like, well, now I'm not as interested anymore because it's not that plot, and now it's just back to being another Star Trek movie. And then once they lost Pine, then they lost me completely. I honestly never thought the Tarantino Star Trek was going to happen. I still don't think the Star Trek of the Tarantino. And we just interviewed someone who told me that he didn't think the Tarantino Star Trek was going to happen. Uh, John Cho told me that he did not think the, the Tarantino Star Trek was going to happen. No kidding. So, yeah. So I just honestly, no Pine, and specifically no Hemsworth. Like I'm not that I'm did not the, not, did, not that I'm out because I'm I'll be there, but I don't care. Did the Tarantino script involve those characters? I believe it did. Interesting. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. I I mean I, that's such a pie in the sky. Yeah. Who knows if he really has that screenplay? Right. Story. I mean, but like I didn't that, know add, if it add that to the stack of things that Tarantino's thought talked about doing. You know, add, there's there's a there's a room somewhere with the Vega Brothers and Kill Bill yeah. Volume Three, and now the R-rated Star Trek, just like gathering yeah. dust. Man, now, I, I, I love those three movies. I love the new Star Trek. I'm not a I, huge I, I like Star Trek quite guy, a yeah. and I think Beyond. I love Beyond. I, it's one of those series that I actually go to with the kids a lot. Um, mm-hmm. They are super into that rebooted timeline, and they love that cast. And to me, I think Pine owns that role. He's so good as Kirk that I can't see why you... And I do also, I loved the idea of bringing Hemsworth back because this is a timeline that's been launched on the idea of time travel, you know, with the original uh, Spock coming back yeah. with Nimoy, uh, reestablishing a new timeline through the fact that the fact that he uh, created a ripple that you can play with, you know, time travel in a way. And so bringing Hemsworth back and then... But then this is what's creating the problem. 
Hemsworth and Pine are huge stars now. Like, I mean, how you can't juggle them, you know, so if the two of them walk, you basically, you've lost your sequel and maybe not quite your franchise per se, but uh, yeah, I'm with you that I'm, I'm kind of checked out if they're not doing it. Yeah. Two things. Uh, one, in regards to that, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I, I, lo- I love the first Star Trek and I'm not a big Trek fan. And I think uh, what JJ did with 2009 Star Trek and kind of what similar to what Wrath of Khan was for me, where it transcended Star Trek, it was, it was a movie that I loved just overall, not as a mm-hmm. Trek fan, just as somebody who just loved going to the movies. Um, Into Darkness, I think, was a major step down, unfortunately. It was fine. Uh, Beyond was actually very good. Beyond was actually a it's step fun. back up. It's yeah, really it's fun. fun. Um, but I agree with Jake. I mean, the opening of Star Trek 2009 is the greatest scene out of any three of those films. Um, a lot of that has to do with Michael Giacchino's score and just the way J.J. directed it. And, um, but Hemsworth is great in that scene. It's an amazing moment. Uh, and I, uh, I think if those two are out, I'm not interested but i do have a question for you guys and 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 i won't try to steer this too far it's kind of based on what we're talking about about actors being out um regarding to the james gunn situation i know that today pratt came out with another quote about the idea remember that we talked about a couple weeks ago where they all came out as a cast and released that statement uh and then pratt said some more things today about it um and batista has been very vocal about his uh anger about james gunn being fired so my question is, legally speaking, every one of these actors is leg- legally has to make. The movie, I would Im- right? I, mean, I would imagine so. Well, yeah, because Batista said that he was going to ask Disney to let him out of his contract. He didn't say I'm going right. to quit if they don't use the James Gunn script. I'm going to ask Disney to let me out of my contract. I would imagine. I remember interviewing Chris Evans for Cap One, and he had mentioned that they signed him for six films, and I said three captains and three Avengers. And he said, that's right. Obviously that's ended up changing because we were getting, we're getting a few more Avengers. I'm sure they, they adjusted or added on some things, but I would imagine pretty, probably a similar thing. They signed him for a six picture deal accounting for, you know, some Avengers or some, um, you know, however many sequels they need to do guardians, maybe not. I mean, and then we, we all, and we all know that gun was very heavy in writing a lot of the dialogue from what I understand in, in the latest Avengers movie. Um, you know, with the Russos continuing with the next Avengers movie and the Guardians obviously continuing in, in that, is that going to affect Avengers 4? Because Avengers well, 4, they haven't finished I think Avengers, it yet. They have to, yeah, but I don't think it's going to impact it in Avengers that manner. Four, yeah, uh, Avengers 4 is largely finished. They have pickups that they have to shoot before. In September. That's what the yeah. Russos told me they had to shoot some stuff in September for it. Because, I mean, like yeah. they basically were shooting for so long, they were like, we have to release this movie. Well, uh, here's this what- third one. Here's the thing that we realized today that I think will somewhat impact what's going to happen. Because I really do think that, that whole situation over there is very, very fluid. Um, they don't know who they're going to hire yet to bring James Gunn back. We've been hearing stories that Kevin Feige uh, or Marvel Studio Brass is kind of pushing behind the scenes with Disney to bring James Gunn back in some way. They oh, have wow. floated a few stories to say that, look, even if he doesn't direct Guardians 3, they wanted James Gunn to be on board to help them shape the cosmic side of where Marvel was going to go in phase four. James Gunn has a volume, a Bible of places that they can go with cosmic stories, which is why they teased Adam Warlock. And it's why he brought up the Nova Corps in the Guardians films. Like he has big ideas of where they can go. And they're saying, maybe we can bring James Gunn back in for an If you If you're Gunn, do you come back in that manner? Like if I'm Gunn, I no. say, screw you. You don't yep. want me to direct three. You don't get the package deal. A hundred percent. And also this with this cast, like, yes. So let's say they're contractually obligated to come in, but do you want that? Do you want that type of performance from somebody who's contractually obligated to be there? No, 
So Spider-Man Far From Home comes out in July of 2019. The next Marvel date after that is May of 2020. That's a huge gap of time that Marvel still has right now to play with. Their backs are not against the wall in the way that DC is. And I think they could really make a big production change of moving up Black Panther 2 or Doctor Strange 2 and just saying we're going to shelve Guardians 3 uh, and and figure out what we're doing. Yeah, Yeah. I I bet you that that's not the next movie. Sean, regarding your Kevin Feige comment just now about um, him possibly being behind the scenes and wanting or the rehiring of Gunn, allegedly, yeah. um, the firing of Gunn, do you think that had, do you think Feige had anything, anything to do with that or is that all Disney? I think it's That's all Disney. total Disney. So Feige yeah. probably was, we don't know this for sure, but he probably did not agree. I, think, I would imagine he was I, I don't, This is my opinion. I don't know anything about this, but I think that I. that was the first time that Kevin Feige was reminded that he has bosses. Yeah, right. that's actually an interesting... Very good interesting, point. Very yeah, good point. Yeah, that's a great point. He's the he's the, the ruler of Marvel Studios and is the creative point. You know, he's the head of the spear. Uh, but he answers to people. Everyone answers to people. Someone's holding the spear. Yeah, let me ask someone's you, holding the spear, yes. Let me ask you guys this real quick. If a gun gets hired back, that movie comes out, how much is it affected at the box office? I don't... I don't... I don't. I don't honestly don't think that the average moviegoer cares as much as we do. Um, I think it gets some press, but I, see, uh, I agree with that, Jake. Except the solo thing. I think Solo left a lot of money on the table because they switched gears to another yes. director. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, that and the release date. That that was a that was. But here's a, the deal: is that I think uh, whoever they bring in to replace Gun, if they do bring someone to, to replace Gun, is going to have to essentially try to replicate Gun. I think with Solo. They brought in a new director to completely change the direction of the film. I think with yeah. Guardians, they're going to bring in a new director to try to keep that same feeling in there that Gunn created yeah. in the first place. What about what Sean Gunn directing? I, I saw that Jesus on Twitter the other Christ. day. Like that, that, no, I'm, I'm being serious. Sean Gunn? No, that, that, that's, his, that's his brother. He plays Rocket. Yeah, yeah. I don't think oh, he's directed anything, though. Jake thought I was joking. No, I thought Sean you were joking. Gunn is, yeah, I thought you were really no, joking. Sean Gunn is the is the gentleman is the actor who physically plays Rocket on set, and um, and he's Cracklin too. He's one of he's, the he's, he's great. one of the human cast members. But I don't think he's ever directed anything, and I don't think he would take over a franchise that that no. they screwed his brother over. He's no. been fiercely loyal to to his yeah, brother. Yeah, you're right. That's a good in point. this whole blowback. So, I mean, I I fear that you're going to get a hire of someone who's I don't want to throw any names under the bus right now, but it's going to be someone generic, and right off the bat, you're instantly going to say. I'm not interested in that person's take on Guardians of the Galaxy. What is, could you imagine the conversations that are happening behind the scenes? Like, what is Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, all these people, what are, what are they all, are, are they all, like, at You know, that, like, they have a text emailing? thread right now. Oh, yeah, they have to be, like, like, I would imagine the moment he got fired, like, Batista specifically, because he's just so public about his opinion on it, but, man, they must be, like... Also, props to James Gunn. I feel like James Gunn has handled this so well. Like, he hasn't come out. He hasn't trashed Disney. He hasn't come back. He hasn't made some big, like, grandstand, you know, stand on a a soapbox sort of moment. He sort of just stepped away and uh, and sort of is allowing this situation to play out. I think you could teach a master's class on how James Gunn is handling this situation right now. It's right. a, it's it's an impossible situation to to even understand how I have a theory that he's going to get rehired. I I I, feel, I think he is. I don't, so you guys if he think- if he gets rehired, Disney will deal with an, an immediate blowback of people who are calling them 
somewhat cowardice for for taking a stand against his jokes and then reversing course. But I think that's temporary, mm-hmm. and I think ultimately they prevail by saying we're sticking with the guy who got us this far. That, that's only, what I think should happen. The only problem with rehiring him is the Roseanne story. That's the only problem because the Roseanne one. because the Roseanne story is also ABC. It's also Disney. And they say, why um, so, does he get another shot? Why does he right. get a second chance? Why? Because both both of them said horrible things. Yeah. Uh, and there's a there. That's going to be a big thing. I I don't think Gunn gets rehired unless Roseanne gets rehired. Um, I don't and see her ever getting rehired. So that, now I'm kind of backtracking because now I'm thinking there's no way they're going to rehire Roseanne, right? So that means Gunn's. At, at least out. he hadn't started production. He submitted a script, yeah. but it's, it's not like they're into because I mean. Justice League and Solo are two recent examples of, you know, people that changed horses midstream and they both collapsed. They Unless collapsed. they, they were... hire Roseanne to direct Guardians <laughs> 3, and then they're open to bringing James Gunn back in. Disney, we have the ideas. Just call Could us. you imagine? On speed dial. Honestly, <laughs> with everything happening in the world right now, if that actually happened, I don't know how shocked I would even be. No, I'd I would just be it. like, I'd go with it. Okay. All right. We have a better uh, have, chance of doing bathroom blend than that happening. We have three new movies that are opening in theaters this week. Um, I want to do quick reactions to the three of them. Uh, some of us have seen some of them. Some of us have seen some of the other ones. Uh, and then we're going to do an in-depth sort of dive to Black Hay Klansman, even though Kevin's seeing that um, uh, right after we hang out from this one. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians is actually in theaters today, the day that we're recording it. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this. I thought it was really fun. I'd give it three and a half out of five and not so much for the story which to me was kind of simple rom-com but it's shot beautifully singapore looks amazing uh john chu lingers on really great architecture and the sumptuous food and the colors and it's really vibrant and and that for that alone i thought that it was you know warrants a big screen view am i way off from where you guys are no i i first it made me want to go to singapore i agree with you in (laughs) that sense yeah i i actually really enjoyed this film it does not break the mold in terms of storytelling i've sort of been comparing it to uh, Monster-in-Law from a few years ago with Jane Fonda and Jennifer Lopez. Um, but you know what? One of the, the and I, I can't take credit for this, but I read a quote of someone saying, you know what? Like the Asian community should be able to have their own generic rom-com. Sure. And they, you know, and that yeah. people are looking forward to the days, to the day when it's not a big deal when a movie that is it, like featuring an Asian cast and, and directed by an Asian man is not a big deal for it to come out. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a ton of fun. I thought the performances were great. I thought all the characters were different and fleshed out. And there, I was never really bored with, with any one particular character was on screen. Um, I, I was interested to, to sort of see what was happening. And even though it was a story that I felt I was fairly familiar with, I felt like it was fresh because it was told from the, from the, the, the perspective and the viewpoint of a culture that I wasn't as familiar with. Um, so in that sense, I, I would give it a big recommendation. I, I, I really hope this movie does well and that we get to the point where it's not, and, and I mean this in the most respectful way possible, I hope we get to the day where it's not a big deal when a movie like this comes out because it means right. that so many have come out. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing about this film is exactly what Jake just said, is we've seen a story like this before a million times, but we've never, I, I personally have never seen it from the perspective of an, of, of, of an Asian perspective. So you're, you're, you're diving into a story that you've seen while you may know where it's going, you've never seen it from a perspective, in my opinion, that I've seen at least, like this, uh, dealing with the cultural differences. And the thing I found fascinating about this movie was learning the difference between Asian American and Asian. Uh, and that's a, a very big uh, concept of this movie is that there is a massive difference. And I think that the film 
really dives into that. I mean, this idea that Rachel's character, Constance Wu, grows up, where is she from? New York, right? In the, in the film. Yeah. I believe it's mm-hmm. New York. And, but she's Asian. She's, I believe she's, she's Chinese, right? Uh, yeah. Her character's Chinese. So mm-hmm. the, the character going to Singapore and then being a complete foreigner in the sense of like just not understanding this particular culture, that's, it's an incredible way to tell a story and a great way to have arcs for a lot of characters. Um, you know, everybody kind of leaning in and kind of learning this difference between Asian and Asian American. On top of that, it's shot masterfully. I mean, there are some incredible shots in this film. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, there's a moment in the movie for people out there when they see it. It's a two or three minute one shot, tracking shot, as John Chu uh, brings Rachel and Nick into a party scenario. And she's meeting all the family and friends. And it's so much anxiety. And he keeps it all in one shot because it's meant to, you want to break that up. Like, you're kind of like, remember, you know, you know, if you walk into a party to meet someone's family for the first time, not on that scale. But you're kind of you're kind of like tossed in a bunch of different directions. Like this person's this uncle, whatever John, this, and you're kind of being like tossed around. You know what I mean? And then and then they go to these like documentary style shots of her uh, meeting the family. These like head on like shots. So um, very cool. One other thing I want to note about that movie, I liked it a lot actually. Um, My only issue with the movie is I think that it's it rushes when it needs to slow down and it drags when it needs to speed up. There were times where they didn't spend enough time, in my opinion, in some of the most important moments, and then they spent too little time. It was just, to me, it was like almost like Whiplash, that line about rushing and dragging. It just kind of just. Were you rushing or were you dragging? There was a push pull for some of the scenes. Uh, This movie contains top three favorite scenes of the year for me right now. Um, The wedding sequence, specifically, which is uh, not, it's not a spoiler. It's just, they're going to Singapore for a wedding. Um, so that particular sequence I thought Listen, was okay at the risk of us. Like sometimes we come off as like a genre superhero heavy podcast. The wedding scene is gorgeous. Oh, it's like, fantastic. Unbelievable. It's beautiful. 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 How they shot and it's, it. And, and it's, like, they, they do this. Let me just, I'm going to give away something really quick. It's like a visual where they, they lay down this water for the bride to walk yep. down and everybody in the, in the place turns to sort of light the scene in a way. And I don't want to give it away because I want it to be a bit of a surprise. But our our audience gasped because it looked far more beautiful than they could even so Moving hoped. forward, how many news stories are we going to hear about flooded weddings of people who, who attempt <laughs> to like f- like bring water into their wedding and it just goes yeah. horribly wrong? Like I guarantee yeah. you it took a lot to orchestrate that. And I'm sure there's great. a lot of movie magic behind yeah. it. And I feel like we're about to see a string of like another flooded wedding, this time out of Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, but what's interesting yeah. about that scene, by the way, is John Chu, I'm Chu, the director, um, he sets that scene to Coldplay's Yellow, but a Chinese remake. Yeah. Of oh, the soundtrack is incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's another thing we got to bring up is the soundtrack basically features a bunch of uh, Asian remakes of classic songs. Material but, Girl gets one. But specifically using the song Yellow there. I think is probably one of the most brilliant soundtrack decisions I've ever heard in my life. Because not only does that that term, uh, as John Chu said in, when I interviewed him about it, he actually had to write a letter to Coldplay because originally they turned it down. They weren't going to allow, allow them to use that song. And he wrote an emotional letter to Chris Martin and the whole band. And wow. then hours later, he got, he, got, he got approval to put the song in the film. That's and, cool. you know, back when, they, when that song came out, think about what that song did. It... it, it completely changed the word yellow because the, the word yellow is used very negatively. We, I mean, I think we all know about it from like, like Westerns and they, when they call someone yellow for like not 
you know, not being involved in the shootout or whatever, calling them a chicken or something. But then the 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 other aspect of yellow is the offensive way it's used for Asian people. Sure, um, really so negative connotation. Oh, um, but to have that song playing in that scene is so yeah. freaking it's actually, powerful. It's not the wedding scene. Yellow plays at the end of the movie. No, and yellow what? plays in the wedding scene. Is it? Hundred percent. Then he uses scene. it twice because he definitely uses it at the end too. When the I, I don't want to talk about the ending. But it definitely plays over the end, the ending too. But either way, but the use of the song is great. And maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was in the wedding scene, but I could be wrong. Let Jay, us you know remember? On social. I don't remember. Sorry. Let I us thought know it was on social. Right, well, either way, great scene. Um, and then one other thing I want to mention, uh, to give John M. Chu credit and the and the producers behind this movie credit, they were offered a massive Netflix deal, a huge deal at Netflix to bring this movie to Netflix. So that would have guaranteed them. The money, right? They wouldn't have to worry about box office, and your 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 expectations of what the movie should do are not really there anymore because you're dealing with streams now. Now it would have done really well on Netflix, but John M. Chu said, "You know what? No, this is the first Asian American led cast in Hollywood in 25 years as leads. We're not putting this on Netflix, even though Netflix is great. We're putting this in the biggest theater possible, and we're gonna have an op- and we're gonna have an opening weekend." That's going to speak volumes to the idea that we need more diversity in films. And, and it's tracking very well. And yeah, they're saying 26 million over the five days, which is yeah. great because the movie only costs about 30 to make, which is, you know, it's still a lot of money, but not a ton where it won't be able to make it back. But you got to I'm sure a lot of that was just international shooting is expensive. Right. And, but you're talking about this is the first Asian American led film in 25 years in Hollywood. Was, uh, Joy, I'm assuming the last Joy one was Club. Joy Club. Yeah. Joy Luck Club. Joy Luck now, Club, yeah. And I saw a tweet today from Constance Wu. So the, a, lot of, a lot of reporters and people are getting this wrong. I myself got this wrong when I, when I sat down for the, with the cast with Aquafina. I said, this is the first Asian-led cast in Hollywood in 25 years. And she said, no, it's the first Asian-American. That's mm-hmm. a very, very important distinction. With Crouching Tiger? There's, yeah, Crouching Tiger, Memoirs of, Memoirs of a Geisha. So just when people are saying, if you're watching this movie and you're tweeting about it, just make sure you know it's the first Asian-American-led cast in Hollywood in 25 years. Asian-American is the Okay, in a couple of hours, I have to go see Mile 22. Is it any good? Meh. Meh. I, <laughs> I liked fine. Mile it's 22. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's intense. It's, it's, it's 90 minutes. Um, everything with Eco is unbelievable. I mean, that guy, he's, he's The Raid is one of the greatest action movies of all time. Agreed. Um, I agree with that. And when you his fight scenes in this movie, in my opinion, make it worth seeing. But I, didn't, I think, didn't his fight scenes, to me, felt like they wrote the movie cast him, realized, oh crap, we've got this guy, and then went back and retooled the scenes to allow him to fight. His fight scenes did not feel organic to me. It felt like they they reconfigured the script in order to give him an opportunity to fight. There's there's one scene in particular uh, involving a doctor, Sean, that you'll see a little bit later tonight. And and watch that scene, and to me, it just stood out. Like, it it didn't flow with the movie. It felt like they just, they're like, oh, we got to give him a chance to fight. We got to give him a chance to show off what he can do. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I just, I, I felt that the, the fight scenes were fine. I mean, like, listen, the raid is, the raid is on such a different level of action that it's hard to uh, compare the two. But I don't know. I, I think Peter Berg is making great movies. I think, well, I think the, the ability to use practical effects and stunts that he does, his movies aren't doing a ton of money recently. Like, Lone Survivor was great. It made a lot of money. But I thought Deepwater Horizon and Patriots Day were really, really great I agree with films. that. I agree with that. And this uh, movie and I, is as good as it is because of Pete Berg. Without oh, Pete really? Berg, this movie would have been trash. Interesting. Um, okay. And I hated, and, hated, 
hated the ending. I think the ending is just really, really stupid. Why are we not talking about the most important part of this movie, Jake? What is the most <laughs> when the line say say hi to your mother for me? That that is a very he does not say that scene. in the movie. Hundred percent, he says it. In he the movie. does Wal- not. Wahlberg. Wahlberg doesn't say it. Someone else says it. Wait, no. Two oh, for real? Say it. Someone says it. Yeah. Wait, no, 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 no. Wahlberg does say it, or somebody says it to Wahlberg. Someone says so it to Wahlberg. There's two instances of it. There's one with Eco when the yes. guy says, "Say hi to your mother for me." Yes. And there's another <laughs> "Say hi to your mother for me" that is involving Wahlberg's in the shot. I don't think he says it, right? But it's the, the, but the it's, one that I'm remembering is where Eco says it to Wahlberg. I don't okay, remember yeah. another instance of it. Yes, I'm fairly there's, certain there's, there's, there's not there's, there's not another there's instance of it. Two instances okay. of it. There's All one. Right, I will pay attention. Yeah, I'll they say hi to your I'll, mother for me, which by the way is not a reference to SNL. I don't buy that. I don't <laughs> care what they told not. you. It I don't care what they told you. If How if if they were on set and did not and, <laughs> and that was in the movie and they did not address the fact that it ties back to that stupid SNL thing. I guarantee no. they're lying to you, Kevin. Okay, it's not call that stupid. stupid. It was funny. That it was, was funny. Really, but they're sketch. lying it's to funny. you, Kevin. I do funny. not believe. Why would that he lie was... to me? What? what I, I, this is what's the re- What's the reason not to not to make it a comparison? It has I, to be. because I think you that we would all recognize how stupid that is to put that in the movie. For people who don't don't know aren't following what we're saying, there's a great SNL sketch that came out years ago where Andy Samberg played Mark Wahlberg talking to animals, and at the end Mark of that Wahlberg sketch, talks, talks to, to animals. animals. And he would and the, he would end the sketch by saying, "Say hi to your mother for me." Right. It's, it's then, actually a very it's a very funny. He'd say sketch. it to every animal. Really? Yeah. And then Wahlberg. How you doing, came, pig? And, and then yeah, how you doing, donkey? Say hi to your mother for me. Okay, that's <laughs> like Tom Hanks being in another movie where there's a line. Uh, life is like a box of chocolates and him going, but it has nothing to do with Forrest Gump. And of course it does. You can't tell to. me that like yeah. that, that, that people on set didn't address that. I do not believe what they told you, Kevin. I think they're they, full that, of crap. All right, yeah, so here's, here's, what Wahlberg, here's what Wahlberg told me, and, I'll, and this, is, this is relevant to our conversation. Because, because God knows he's the most trustworthy person in the world. In the movie... In the movie, say I think it's actually say hello to your mother for me in the movie because in the SNL sketches say hi to your mother for me, but I could be wrong. Um, Wahlberg said the reason why it's in there, he says it's, it was not meant to be an SNL callback. It was actually a reference to what Malkovich's character. Malkovich's character is called Mother, and then the um, that's how they they all communicate through the through the earpieces. So say hi I to think your mother. The, I for think me. they saw an opportunity. They realized that, that, his, that the whole system was called Mother, and someone on set goes, "Would it be funny if you said say hi to your mother for me?" And they did it. <laughs> and now they're trying. Uh, now I think they're trying to walk it back and say wanna... it wasn't an SNL reference when it absolutely was. I don't so, believe you, Mark Wahlberg. If you're listening to this, you can tell me that to my face, and I will tell you back. I do not believe you. So I Jake and I, guys... Jake and I are having a, uh, having a hard time remembering exactly. I think it happens twice, but it definitely happens at least. I once think it in the happens film. once because we we like went nuts in the theater when it happened, and I remember going nuts <laughs> at the end of the movie. I will right. text you guys as soon as I get out of it, and, and you tell times. me if I you think it. that it was yes. just organically written in the script, or if it was a I bunch will. of like like entourage style dudes on set know. giggling to themselves and saying, "Wouldn't it be funny if we did this?" I don't know if you guys remember, but I got to go to Bogota to to this yeah, set. Yeah, I do remember and, that. And um, this is really funny. I didn't want to say anything. I, it's still not going to give away anything. Um, but there's a moment where – so we interview the cast the day of this explosion shootout scene that we watched them film, like, in the streets of Bogota. And one of the characters has a very distinct uh, costume, an, an outfit. And um, after we interviewed the entire cast and then we, after we watched them blow up the set – 
um, they were like, okay, now you can come down and, and walk the street and take pictures and, and, and witness the carnage that we created. And I go down and you see a body, uh, a charred mannequin <laughs> underneath one of the cars uh, wearing uh, the wearing the outfit of this person that we just interviewed. <laughs> and gotcha. we were all like, oh, I uh, guess that person doesn't make uh, it very far. Gotcha. I, I, we'll, we'll talk about who I think it is uh, off when we're, when we're yeah, recording. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I, just, a, just a clarification, by the way. Sean is right. Uh, the Yellow song from Coldplay, their cover of it, plays in the final scene of the film. Uh, I can't remember the scene, the song in the wedding scene. But going back to what we were saying, the wedding scene is one of the greatest scenes of the year. I know um, what it was. It was Enter Sandman. Didn't they play Enter yes. Sandman? Enter yes, Sandman. Yes, you're right. No, yeah. I think it was Pantera's um, <laughs> Cowboys from Hell. That's, that, that's what song played there. Gabe says I have to skip Alpha, but I want to quick just say that Alpha is worth seeing on the big screen because the visuals and the 3D in it are incredible. Um, it's this, you know, boy and his wolf story, and it's kind of simple and sweet it's definitely sweet and cody smith mcphee is the kid i didn't even realize that he's really good in it but this movie is stunningly visually beautiful i did not expect it they handed me 3d glasses on the way in i was like why do i have 3d glasses for alpha but it was beautiful the 3d is some of the best i've seen on screen at least this year and probably not in a while so if you are even remotely curious about seeing alpha make sure you go see it on the big screen uh, Jake, let's quick dive into just Black K Klansman for a minute. Yeah. Well, wait, why are you calling it Black K Klansman? Is that, that that's the right I, that's the right I, way to I, say I, it. I've just been calling it Black Klansman. Me too. I have no clue how to. Say, well, it's the word black. Yeah, but but I but I thought that like K-K-K. the third K was like for K. Like just like honestly, I thought the extra K was just sort of a fun little thing. Spike Lee. I didn't. I didn't think it was meant to be. I didn't think it was actually meant to be like pronounced. I think it's just Black Klansman. Black Klansman. Okay. And I said Black Klansman in front of. Uh, John David Washington when we had him on the show and he didn't correct me. So I don't know. I don't he... doubt that I'm saying it wrong. I'm actually 100% confident that I'm not saying it the right yeah, way. It's Black now, Klansman. Black Klansman. Is that right? Can I say it that way? Jake, my argument with this movie, and I don't want to say too much about it now because Kevin's going to go see it right after we record this. I think that it's an important movie, but I think that that's making it feel like more that, that people are thinking it's a great movie when it's yeah. really just a good movie yeah uh, i think that's fair i think that there are some sequences in the film where spike lee is a little bit out of his element there's um somewhat i don't know if you would call it an action sequence but in the final act there's somewhat kind of a chase slash action sequence that right. reminded me that spike lee doesn't really know how to do that Correct. um so by no means is it a perfect film um, I kind of wish maybe he'd brought in someone that kind of knew how to do stuff like that. Uh, it, it, that that felt a little clunky, but when it's good, I just thought it was it was just so unbelievably good, and I really was impressed with how funny it was. And it sounds, I mean, granted, there are truly horrific moments in this film, and 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 the final probably forty five seconds hits you over the, the head with a sledgehammer um, of guilt, and uh, and and but there were just moments that I felt like he is owning the KKK with humor. Like we, like he is, he is providing a situation, a truthful situation in which we can laugh at them and make fun of them. And to me, that is one of the, like the, that is the ultimate victory. When you can beat someone, not with turning up the dramatic music or, or by, by making me weep, but by just like pointing out how absolutely ridiculous they are to me, that is the ultimate victory. So in that sense, I thought the, the film was a big victory for Spike Lee. I'm not, Sold on everything he does. I, I think he's his his hits are as great as or his misses are bad. Um, I, I oh yeah yeah that's but, fair. So so that's by fair. no means am I like this Spike Lee apologist, but I, I I am all for. I think this is one of his absolute best, and and uh, and I'm not I'm not sure it'll make my top ten list at the end of the year, but I'm I'm a big champion of this film. 
Well, is there that's a, what I is wonder... there a is there a floating dolly shot in the movie? Yes. That's all I care yes. about. Yes, okay. there is. Because I, I think those are – Sean, I'm sorry I cut you off. I, I, I haven't seen the film yet. I'm going to, I'm going to see it in literally 45 minutes. Um, I, uh, that, that shot to me has always been iconic. And I think – Well, that's his right, thing. That's, that's, his, yeah. that's, his, that's, his, that's his bit. He's made like at least 10 great films. I mean like, the guy is an amazing filmmaker. He got game we, – we, I can list them all. He got game, uh, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, uh, 25th Hour. Uh, I haven't seen this one yet. Um, I hate 25th Hour. Oh, I love... That's probably my second favorite oh, of his. God, why? I love 25th Hour. I love the mirror, 25th the mirror Hour. mirror scene is so great. No. But I mean, that that uh, Inside Man, another great one. No, I didn't like uh, Inside Man. It's good. But the, it's good. The floating... I think a lot of Spike's movies are good. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are great. fine. I'd give them five. I'd Do give the right thing. I'd give them five great, which five great still, ones. five great is... Tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. That's, but Absolutely. I wouldn't say ten. Do you know my favorite scene in this movie, Jake, was um, the nightclub scene where um, the girl uh, finally, near the beginning, where she dances, where they're dancing and they're and they're just letting loose and and relaxing because there's a a, the split in this movie is um, do you have to be political all the time? Right. Can't you just sometimes have a life where you're just enjoying uh, being alive? And it's almost like characters throughout this movie are constantly reminded that you have to constantly be engaged in this battle right you can't just let your hair down but then there's a moment where spike lets them let their hair down and i was like this is this is a a moment of reprieve that i think the movie earned and these characters desperately needed but what the reason why i say that i don't think that it's going to be remembered necessarily as one of the year's great movies is because i don't see it on my top 10 and i don't see making a push for an awards race you know for this and not that yeah. those are the parameters no, you but, know I but mean, august august is a weird release date if they really thought it had some potential um yeah. i think it's going to be one of those movies that everyone agrees is a great movie but then when it comes time to award season everyone goes it doesn't quite because the problem is you know and and we'll when we get back to the award season we'll talk about this but unfortunately to really be awards an awards contender You've got to have a small but passionate fan base of people that are going to put you number one when they right. when you rank on the on the Oscars ballot. And I know a lot of people that like this movie, but I don't know anyone that's going to rank it number one. And that's that's the problem. Is that you need even if it's a, if, if it's a small group, you need at least a small group of people that are going to rank it at the top of the list. And I don't think I do think that uh there there is a cameo in the film. Can I say who it is? Wait, is I, don't it, is it? I don't want to know. I don't I don't I don't want to know. I'm not I seen it yet. I mean, it's not a big deal it's not a it's not a big name the fact the fact that sean doesn't know means it's not a it's not a big deal there's yeah. uh just by uh, it's uh, harry belafonte there's a small oh but but oh, yeah, yeah, great yeah, scene um mm-hmm. I, I don't that's the thing maybe cameo is the wrong word but harry <laughs> belafonte makes an appearance um and he and that's and i thought that was a great scene um mm-hmm. that, that's that the one that, that that uh weeks later i'm still thinking about i think we would both recommend it we oh absolutely absolutely, absolutely go see absolutely. it but it's not subtle. <laughs> no, and no. It, but especially the final sixty seconds are no uh, are not subtle by any uh, stretch it, of the imagination. It's made for it's made for one audience, right? Yeah. Like I think a, a better movie. Not that you could really say let's see let's hear the KKK side. Yeah, I'm just saying maybe a better movie might have found a little bit more balance. Yeah. beyond I just don't know. I am not familiar with the film Birth of a Nation. I'm I'm aware of what it is, and I'm aware of 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 its perspective and its place in history. But apparently mm. there are editing choices and artistic choices within Black Klansmen that purposefully copy Birth of a Nation as if to sort of like take it back from mm. that uh, from that uh, obviously very like pro KK film from the from the nineteen thirties nineteen thirties 
I think it was earlier than that. Earlier than I that. Was like, I think it was like 1914 yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, um, so there, there are apparently artistic choices. I wish, I don't want to say I wish, I, I wish I were more familiar with that original film so that I could have like championed Spike for doing that. But unfortunately, I'm just mm-hmm. not familiar enough. But I thought that was a really cool artistic note. Good. You're going to love next week's game, which is hashtag birth nation blend. Yeah. We're going to review that great film. Uh, no, I'm kidding. We're going into this week's blend game, which is uh, hashtag opening blend. I'm very excited about it. what, what great uh, two blends we've had over the past two weeks. I've loved these. I also love that we're doing favorite now. I do too. It's a game changer. That is yeah. a game changer. Literally. It is gets, literally a game changer. Gabe gets all the credit for that. Yeah, um, that was, that was so, a great call. Everyone playing at home was Can we amazing. Can Gabe on the show sometime? Someday. He's Someday. he's getting himself there. He's earning his spot little by little. Um, since ooh, we ooh, don't Can have... I be the producer that day? And then I'll wrap all of you whenever <laughs> I get bored with you. A 30-minute episode. Yeah. Uh, Jake, I'm told that you get to go first. So ooh, lay it okay. on us. Uh, this one was a bit easier and the one that I thought of initially whenever um, we mentioned it last week. And I've went through other ones in my head and this is once again where like we used to have to do where i like had to remember the word best now i have to remember the word favorite and once again Mm -hmm. by no means am i saying that this is the best but it is my favorite i choose the opening of the lion king i Ah, think that opening five or six minutes set to circle of life is just i mean i mean i recognized it as a kid is it being powerful that song is one of the all-time great songs to be written for a film. The animation for that film is still unbelievably gorgeous. The power of when the title card hits at that final mm-hmm. beat of the song, mm-hmm. it, oh. it, it makes me, like, I'm literally getting goosebumps right now, like, just talking about that. I just think that, right. like, like, them bringing Simba up to the, to the front of Pride Rock, I just think it is one of, like, one of the all-time just unbelievable musical sequences, not just of an animated film or a Disney film, but of any film, period and i think it's absolutely like i i love that movie but i think i think i think it peaks in the first four minutes i think it is i love 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 the opening of the lion king have you been able to see the sizzle reel for favreau's live action i have not i have not but i have seen it on broadway though which is if you uh get the chance to see it on broadway it's as equally powerful so at CinemaCon, and actually at D23 last year, that's how long Favreau's had this. He put together a sizzle reel. I mean, I mean, people might not realize this, but Favreau's Jungle Book is essentially a feature-length test yeah. to can we do this because yeah. they want to do The Lion King, right? And his sizzle reel for Lion King is the opening sequence. Now, and how did live it Live action. Oh, dude. As amazing as I'm going to tell you it looked, it's 100 times more amazing than wow. that. Now, it looked a new insane. recording of the song? Uh, no, they used the original, yeah. uh, version, but I think but they, I think are, they are doing a new recording, a new recording which yeah. kind of bothers me because I feel like that song's about as perfect as you can be. Yeah. That they should keep that Yeah, <laughs> and you can rework the other ones if you want yeah. to, but keep that because you're right. That is, yeah. I mean, that is iconic. That yeah. is an excellent choice. Excellent yeah, thank choice. You. Thank you. Uh, Kevin, I've been told that you are next. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I think that, uh, first one that came to mind is the one I said at the end of the show last week, which was Inglorious Bastards. Um, I was in very real contention. That was a great call on your part. That was that was a that was in contention for me. I mean, I just gen- thanks, Jake. I, I I genuinely think that. So wait, that's your pick? Yeah, no, it's my it's my pick. Oh, I, I missed that. Yeah. That went over my head. Yeah, that's what I, I went that. with. Yeah, um, it's it's one of the greatest opening scenes in the history of movies. Uh, I I was actually stuck in between three. I was I was in between this, the opening of Scream, and the opening Scream. of Dark Knight. 
The opening of Scream is... Ooh, don't get Sean started on Dark Knight. One of the greatest <laughs> openings of all... The opening of Scream was, like, so oh, that, That's great. We Have you ever seen the director's that. cut version of that scene? No. 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 Oh, the director's cut... Really, the biggest difference with the director's cut is that there's more gore hanging from Drew Barrymore okay. whenever her parents find her uh, hanging uh-huh. from the tree. So hard. Oh, that's that's scene, that great scene, scene makes me... That I still can't get yeah. over the ending when Lillard and Skeet Ulrich are like stabbing each other. It's like, oh, yeah. it's so horrifying. Anyway, you know what's uh, so Bastards. great about Scream 2? I'm sorry, I'll get back to Bastards too. But like, th- at the time, nobody was casting like big time A listers and killing them off like right yeah, there. Right. It, 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 was, right. it was Janet Lee esque. Well, didn't you know? they, but, yeah. like, they wanted Drew Barrymore to be in the Nev Campbell part? And I think she, I think she's the one that championed to be, I think you're right. to be killed I think off. You're right. That's awesome. Yeah. And okay. it's iconic. Anyway, and the way. The way she's making that popcorn, yeah, right, like over the stove with the, with the tin foil, whatever. Um, but bastards, uh, actually, the opposite of what Jake said, in my opinion, is that it. While it's it's one of the greatest openings of all time, the film sustains that brilliance till the very final frame. Um, every bit of that movie's amazing, and it's not even my favorite Tarantino film. Uh, he would argue, and he's told me this in an interview. I, I think he's hundred percent wrong. That the Inglorious Bastards opening monologue is the best monologue he's ever written in his career. Um, I still think that goes to True Romance with Walken and Hopper, but I also think that it has a lot to do with you know he directed Bastards and Tony Scott directed True Romance. Um, the opening of Bastards is a masterclass in dialogue and just the way yeah. the way he speaks to the milk farmer, um, and then you have this masterful shot that spins around and goes underneath the floorboards to the family that's that's underneath it's actually uh, one of the scariest sequences of all time horrifying and then the shootout and the dust that's like in the room with the light coming in and, the, and just that music that plays as shoshana's running off and it's like it was just it's so horrifying every time i watch that scene i somehow and i think that i've said this before on the show when a scene is so good or a movie is so good, I, I when I watch it again, I hope it changes somehow. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. I mean by that is I, I somehow hope that the family will get out of there before they come in and shoot everybody. Um, and, I, and, I, and I find myself watching the scene going, okay, what can the milk farmer do here to fix this? Even though I already know that it's already printed to film and on Blu-ray and I'm watching it on my, I'm, <laughs> on my, on my computer, yeah. I'm genuinely having thoughts about what the milk farmer can do to, to fix the situation. Um, and then you have, oh my God, the, the switching to the other languages and just the way Kristoff just walks through that scene. It's, it, it's, it's just as well directed as it's well written. Every bit of that scene is shot masterfully. Perfect. I remember um, doing that junket and, and that was really before any of us really knew who Christoph Waltz was. Yeah. And I remember sitting in that theater, seeing the movie and, uh, and just before we'd heard anything, it, would have been, it had to be one of the first screenings that they'd done. And just sort of like looking over to whoever was sitting next to me and going like, "Who is that guy? Like this? Like, <laughs> is this like how this whole movie? I don't know if I can handle this whole movie. If, if this whole movie is going to be like this, I remember thinking because I think that movie came out. I think it was an August movie, if I if I am yeah. not mistaken. I remember yeah. in that first scene thinking, "This is probably going to be my number one of the year," and it was. I also don't. I'm really, I, I also don't fully understand how Quentin Tarantino wrote that scene and then sustained the sustained the brilliance throughout the whole movie. I mean, you got to think about. Even great getting movie. into the film, Such like the whole movie. the whole sequence when they take down the movie theater and they kill Hitler, and it's like, the, oh my god, the whole moment where like Brad Pitt's like having to like fake that he's Italian, 
right in front of uh, and uh, I can't remember what he who he was talking to in the scene, but just that whole that entire sequence when like she's walking through the theater and like it's just this long shots of like everything going on and then the the look on Eli Roth's face as he's shooting Hitler. It's like that whole movie is just perfect, every bit of it. It's not even the best Tarantino film in my opinion, um, but that <laughs> says a lot to how great of a filmmaker he is. That's not even his best movie, and it's literally one of the greatest movies I've seen in ten years, fifteen years. You you guys like bastards a lot more than I do. I, I do you not? I did not know that you didn't. I don't think it makes top five for me for Tarantino. What? Whoa! Oh, give me your top five Tarantino movies because I'm very Gabe's curious just where, this, where this falls. Well, I'm where does right, that fall? I'm looking so I, right now. All right. Well, I'll tell you mine off the top of my head. I go Reservoir Dogs one. Then I go pull, uh, now. Now we're talking about just directing, not writing. Because True Romance is my favorite script he ever wrote. But didn't, you, didn't you choose Pulp Fiction for Tarantino Blood? As his best movie. I did. Yeah, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking, doing favorite. talking favorite? Yeah. Yeah. So I would go Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, Bastards. Mm. Django? Django. Django. That's my um, five. What are your five? I would, I would go Pulp, Pulp, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill 1. No, 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 no. no. Kill Bill's one movie. There's no, no one, it's, two. It's one kill, film. It's Kill Bill. No volume one. one. No, 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 kill no, no, Bill no, no. One because Kill Bill Two is is really bad. No, what? it's not. It's the same what? movie. What are you talking about? Who are you? I would kill Bill One and Two are the same movie. Death Proof. Split up by a studio. Eight. And then, Death and then Proof. Movie Bastards. Death Proof. All right, Sean. Sean. Death Proof. His worst film. Oh, Jackie Brown is higher up there too. Jackie Brown. Oh my God, John. Kill Bill is one movie. Oh, it was split, it was it was split up by the Weinstein studio because they wanted to make more money I agree on it. With it was Kevin too on long. This. That's a. I'm with that's Kevin. There was a trailer I didn't, that came, I didn't the, see. A, I didn't see a full cut. I saw two movies. The trailer for Kill Bill, the first trailer that came out, was one film. It was going to be one movie, and then they said, I know. "Uh, we're going to split this into two films." No, no, no. How, it's one movie. There's no. How did you one. watch it? How did you watch it? Oh, I watched theori- two movies. Yes, theoretically, Sean, I went to a movie theater and watched Volume One and Volume Two. Yes, but it's I not, watched two it's, movies. It's one film. I'm sorry. It's the whole bloody affair. I, that I always watch okay, it back. Okay. 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 I have a question. So. So. I watched. You said Death Proof. I watched Grindhouse all as one thing. So how? That's so why do you? So why do you split Death Proof up? Well, he's just, he's talking about directing. That was an experiment. No, but 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 if you're talking yeah, about how point, I watched actually. it, I watched yeah. it as one yeah. theatrical experience. Yeah. That's interesting. So then you can't put Death Proof on your list things. It's 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 one. Well, film. that's fine. I, even if I take Death Proof off, he doesn't make my top five. Right, give oh me my god. Five. All right, well, Sean. Me, can I do my opening? This could be another segment on another real quick, show. Sean, before you go to your real quick, Gabe left. Make, make Kill Bill one movie <laughs> and then give me your top five. Make Kill uh, Bill one movie and give me your top five. Pulp. You're pissing off uh, Gabe. Dude. Reservoir Dogs. Hateful Eight. Kill Bill Two really brings down Kill Bill. No, 1. it does not. What are you talking about? It it's really the same. Doesn't. It's the same movie. He shot the same film in one the second, film. The second one is so bad. No, it's not. It's the same movie. What are you talking about? And that uh, dialogue at the end with the five finger punch is amazing. What the, are you, Superman, the Superman. The Superman thing. dialogue. Anyway, so like your masterful. opening. What is your favorite opening of all time, Sean? Sean, Pulp what fiction. is going on? Pulp Ooh. <laughs> Oh, thank God it was a Tarantino film. Oh, it's it Pulp Fiction. so well. Can you believe that? I mean, wow. I can't even Gabe believe where this conversation has been going. No, Gabe knew. He knew oh, the he? whole time. He's a mastermind. Wow. 
Yeah, Gabe has orchestrated this whole you thing. Lie, bastard. <laughs> um, I had uh, a very happy ending in mind. What a great pick! What a great in, pick a in great La La Land. And but then I couldn't really pick it because it's so modern, but it's so great, it's so wonderful, and it speaks to everything that that film is. And I also was singling out Up, the first seven minutes oh, of Up. Yeah, that can't be my. That couldn't be a favorite. I can't watch that. But it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. But uh, yeah, but that's not best. It's favorite. Um. And Pulp Fiction, there, here's why I think Pulp Fiction is a better opening than Inglorious Bastards. Because it's so important it's later in the movie. That's a um, really interesting point. And, and, and it's, so when we talked about endings, and, and part of my discussion for trying to pick what the best ending was, is that it had to be the true ending, right? And so yeah. for opening, I wanted to, like, it's, like the opening scene of a movie uh, has to has to be has to set the stage of some sort for what the rest of the movie is. Like it has to be, it has to sort of lay the groundwork. The yeah. best ones do. And, and so for this, you're, you're immediately thrown into a conversation. It, it makes it better than Reservoir Dogs, although it's close in that it's just, it's all dialogue driven. Um, you're immediately thrown into a conversation with just like low level criminals. When the rest of this movie yeah. is going to be all about criminals and how they interact with each other. Yeah. They're having this conversation about how can we keep risking our lives, robbing off, ripping off banks why can't we just rip off restaurants? Nobody rips off restaurants, right? There's how many wallets do you think are in here? Oh, are the waitresses going to stand up for the, for the, there's no way. It's like, it's an amazing conversation and you're being thrown right into it. And before we can even process, like, who are these people? Let's They're standing up and ripping the place off. And you talk about the ending of Lion King, how it jams, like those two standing up and screaming at everybody in the restaurant, you know, kicks right into Pulp Fiction. And it's like, I wonder if you could put Circle of Life over that sequence <laughs> and if it would make it no I, it's an interesting point because Versus it's, a, it's an opening that's made better by the ending and there aren't totally. many openings uh about which you could say that and think well, about would, how you felt does that well think about how you Not felt directly when, i disagree with that when you got to the scene so when you get to the the travolta and sam jackson diner conversation yeah and you realize Just think about the first time you watch it I don't even think I th- realized, oh, we're in the same diner. Like, it wasn't I, it, until you hear, is it him? Say, Garcon, Garcon, coffee. Garcon, Garcon coffee. Garcon means yeah. boy. And you're like, oh my oh, God, he brought it, it, it back around. Like, like a shared, like when you when we have like a shared universe or if you're watching Castle Rock and someone says something about being, you know, uh, related to a certain famous Stephen King character and you go like, oh sure. my God, it was like that feeling, but happening in the same movie. Like, re- like not realizing that all this was within the same universe. Because by that point, and, two and a half hours have passed. You've kind of forgotten about those people. And then now when you go back and do a rewatch, you can see Travolta walk past them. You see his oh, back. Oh, really? At, at the beginning? The really? At the beginning? You I guys don't know that? that? No, you I don't go back and Wait, rewatch it. And, I know that yes, says something Travolta different. Yes, because Travolta gets up and goes to the bathroom, and and right. he's over her shoulder. You see him I've walking. I've seen that movie a million behind. times, and I never Yes, Travolta's that. in the beginning. I've got to watch it. I know, I know he's wearing that white shirt uh, after getting cleaned off yeah. at, at Jimmy's Yes! Wow. Dude, I just watched it. Wow. He's over her shoulder walking to the bathroom. Oh, I, my know. mind is freaking blown, dude. I knew that. I, you know she says something. She says something different, right, in each scene? The, it is she, different. Yeah, and yeah. it was supposed to is be because different? depending on who you were. Oh, how you hear it. How yeah. you hear it. Um, my question, and I've always, and I, I'm bummed I've never thought to ask him this, and I've always wanted to know why, it. is why her mouth stops um, mm. in the middle of the line. So right when she says, I will execute every last, yeah. m- whatever the line is, yeah, yeah. Um, her mouth stops moving 
during that scene. And then they, and it, it freezes, and then it goes right to the Dick Dale song. Why? Why were the know. last couple words cut off? I don't know. Ask him. So that's why I picked Pulp Fiction. And uh, I, I, and I listen, the Bastards opening is tremendous. It's an exercise in building tension. But the, because the opening of Pulp Fiction is so relevant to later in the movie, I just think it's a, I, I think it holds more value. So that's why. And then I, I, I also I love when, when Sam Jackson repeats the Ezekiel dialogue and, and, and has that arc of what that moment means to him mm. uh, and how different that, I mean, that, it, it, God, now, now what, what does he say? Like, I used to think that was just some cold stuff to say to a guy before I blew him away. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then he's like, he's like, I'm the shepherd, and you're the evil tyranny, or whatever the line is. It's so great. <laughs> it's so great. well done. Uh, Alex Freeman, who was playing along at home, says Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That, that was another... my that was my second one. That, if we had done best, I would have picked Raiders. Uh, Raiders is really good. Uh, Dark Odinson. Temple of Doom is the best opening of that. Oh show. god, that is a really good do, one too. Oh, oh that's I, a fun hate, one. I hate that opening. opening. No, I it's a great opening. opening. I love the Temple of Doom opening. It's one of my favorite openings of all time. I think it's very fun. Yeah. Uh, Dark Odinson, who is also our two hundredth follower, who we say thank you for. He says, "In Glorious Bastards." Kimberly Sue picked La La Land, and Kelly West said, "Scream." So a lot of the a lot of the same ones we did. Anyone pick Lion King here? No one. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw Lion King on a couple of choices. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I don't think anyone picked Pulp Fiction, so I win. I, w- I would uh, like to point week. out um, that right now I'm holding a squeaky toy, and if you heard a squeakiness during the podcast, it is because my dog was chewing on a squeaky toy, and Gabe made me take it away from her. <laughs> uh, next week we are going to play uh, mainly because I just really want to hear. Although I think someone suggested this, but I really want to hear your guys' choices for. Uh, your favorite performances by Robin Williams. So Ooh. we're gonna do hashtag. I, oh, I, I already Robin have Williams. mine. Mine, oh. mine's. It's oh, so easy. You can't make me do it's that. It's so easy, Jake. I'm gonna make you pick your favorite Robin Williams movie. And, favorite. Uh, we will Fa- favorite it. is subjective, Kevin. Favorite. Fa- favorite is. I argue. Don't give it away now, Kevin. Don't give it away now. I'll just say don't. mine is two words. So I'm gonna. Don't say. tell me. I don't want to know. Forrest Gump. Patch Adams. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm sorry that we were not live on the Facebook this week. Um, We will try to get back on schedule next week. Uh, We, of course, can be found on Spotify and Google Play and iTunes. Please leave us a review. We will read it at the top of next week. Uh, We can be found on Twitter at RealBlend, R-E-E-L-B-L-E-N-D. Jake, where can people find you on social? Oh, you know, I'm around. (laughs) Kevin, where can they find you? (laughs) I am at Gabe says wrap it up. And I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. We will put on Twitter uh, the time of the next one. Hopefully we'll be on Facebook Live. And for now, thank you guys very much for tuning in. Play along with, oh, uh, hashtag Robin Blend. Gabe is actually wrapping us up right now. Let's do Robin Blend. Robin Blend. Hashtag Robin Blend. And Gabe is saying no, no, yes, no, what? Hashtag Robin Blend. All right. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.